And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 157. Uh, as we sit at the microphones today, uh, we are in the middle of President's Day, which is historically a, a huge weekend for mattress sales. Um, so I hope you guys are all celebrating that uh, appropriately. Uh, we, we thank you for tuning in once again. My name is Demone Carter, a.k.a. Dim One. Uh, I am joined in the Zoom by Mr. Nate LeBlanc. What's good, Nate? What's good? Um, what's good? What's good? Three day weekends are good. Yes, sir. Um, pizza's good. Um, <laughs> you know what? You know what's surprisingly good? That, huh. that TikTok viral recipe where people are baking feta and cherry tomatoes with pasta. Bro, and the pasta. It's actually good. Did you I try it? Yeah, we tried it. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I have this feta that I'm obsessed with. It's a Bulgarian feta that I get from mm. a little, uh, uh, like kind of Middle Easternish market mm-hmm. near his house. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just it's so tart and it broke in this really interesting way and became saucy. Like it's got to hand it to TikTok after hundreds of thousands of viral recipes, they found a good one. That that, that one that resonated with Nate. You'll hear more on Talking <laughs> Brazy, the the Nate LeBlanc <laughs> spinoff coming very soon. Uh, also joined uh, here by the infamous Dave Ma. How's it going, man? Yo, um, good to be here, you guys. Um, happy Lunar New Year to everybody. And, oh yeah, um, yeah. Other than that, man, just just trying to keep uh, trying to keep warm, trying to keep warm. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's been a legit cold, which for our East Coast friends means that it's about fifty-five here today. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, we're just I, I have uh, friends in. Uh, uh, central Texas, it's snowing. Like it's never supposed to snow there. Right. It's crazy. Right. Oh yeah. Then there's the whole like the climate's broken thing too. Yes. So we got a little bit of everything, uh, but we're we're just humming along here on the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Um, happy to be back with y'all talking about rap shit as we do every Thursday here. Um, this week, as we record this, this week, uh, 25 years ago. The Fugees dropped their second album, The Score. Um, sold a couple copies, it seems. Um, <laughs> seems like they uh, they did all right for themselves with that with that record. Um, so we're gonna start off this episode by taking it to our question of the week, which uh, is a recurring bit here on Dad Bod Rap Pod. If you follow us at uh, Dad Bod Rap Pod on Twitter you'll see that we post a question every week um, and we have, we invite folks to uh, answer the question via Twitter and we share some of the responses here on the show. Um, Robust uh, answers to this question this week, which is the Fuji's dropped the score 25 years ago. Is this record a classic, which is a very loaded and weird term, but I like it because um, it invites a lot of discussion and commentary. And there was quite a bit of commentary um, on our timeline, but I want to start with our, our resident professionals here. Dave Ma, the Fugees, the score, hip hop classic or nah? 
and, and why? Man, um, from, from reading all the um, responses, I think I'm going to get burned for this, but I do think it's a classic. I think it's okay. actually a classic that has um, aged terribly, but it's a classic nonetheless. Um, Lauren Hill's mm. verses alone are awesome. I think um, our, our homie Adam Mansbach mentioned that it's the uh, classic with the worst verses on it or something like that, <laughs> which is totally true. But I mean, I was, a lot, I, I was 16 in 1996 when this dropped. So this is, um, I think anyone alive during that time uh, understands the magnitude of this record It blanketed radio like you cannot escape it oh my god you know what I mean? yeah and it was part yeah. r&b and part rap and it had this haitian mysticism to it it was cool um i think and if anything you know if if it introduces people to the delphonics or bob marley or roberta flack um i think it gets credit for that as well and certainly i mean you and i had debated uh, lauren hill and mc light mm. and i mm -hmm. mean i think lauren hill's greatness is is captured on on this certainly so many memorable verses um, yeah, man. So I'm going to go that, I'm going to go that it's a classic. I mean, this was an era where, where Wyclef, I mean, he's a butt of jokes now, but, but he was this, this, um, huge, um, character at the time. I mean, the yes. carnival, the carnival was huge. And also let us not forget the, um, collabs he did with mugs on soul assassins, which is weird and makes no sense, but is really catchy and awesome. So, I mean, okay. um, yeah, I'm going to go on a personal tip. Um, it is a classic, um, certainly not something I bump all the time, but, uh, you know, if, if killing me softly comes on, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Okay. Okay. Um, strumming is paying with our takes is this, is, uh, David Ma. <laughs> Ready or not. Uh, uh, <laughs> Nate, Nate LeBlanc, uh, what say you, the score classic or not? Okay. I have a thing. I was all set up <laughs> to like hate on this dude like I felt like I had kind of soured on this right. uh, on the score like I, I went and looked I do own it on vinyl um, so at, at some point I thought it was important enough to add to the permanent collection I've listened to this album a ton in my life I smoked a lot of weed to this record <laughs> I had a, it's on at a lot of parties I've had a lot of good times with friends and obviously that plays into it and when you posted the question, it had just been a long time since I had a re-listen and I was ready to be like Captain Contrarian. Like, no, it's a pop. I, somebody, somebody said this and I was like, they, they nailed what my, what my take was going to be, which is it's a pop music classic. It's not a hip hop yeah. classic. It's, it hasn't aged that well, right? Threw it on yesterday. Loved it. <laughs> I had such a good time listening to this record. It's a banger, dude. The nice. songs are good. Most of the rapping is good. It's like... And they, they fused the elements that Dave talked about really well in an idiosyncratic way that you would, doesn't sound good on paper, but sounds really good right. in your car, like with the bass turned up, like they're, they're real beats. Like they're, they're really mm -hmm. rhyming. Like I, I was really, really impressed. And I like, I, I forgot how much I liked the record because I think because of their like having fizzled both as a group and as individual right. kind of, uh what, what what was what's the right thing like people who matter in hip-hop i'm sure there's a yeah term yeah their relevance their relevance has has slipped over years right sure. um yeah. so yeah full-on classic and like I, okay. I love it I, I was like super into it yesterday i was like i was happy to be hearing it again and i do remember the first time i ever heard it not on the radio i was at um journalism camp when i was a kid uh, the Mosaic program, which you did as well, Damone, and mm -hmm. this woman, mm -hmm. Michelle Guido, she was a reporter. She was probably mm -hmm. 10, 
10 to 15 years older than me. She was kind of my mentor at the time. She was bumping it in her car when we went and like did something one day. And I was like, you listen to the Fugees? And she's like, no, everyone listens to the Fugees. Like to Dave's point, like, I don't think she was a particularly hip person. It sold like 26 million copies. Like, yeah, it won Grammys. Yeah, totally. And I was, I remember it it making me think she was cooler. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, okay, okay. This is something we could vibe on. Like, you know, yeah anyway that's my little story but yeah it's a classic even though i really wanted it not to be for like 15 minutes on saturday (laughs) so what about you uh prize top five (laughs) yeah Uh, prize is rough i mean we have to talk about it totally 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 he connects sound sets with his rap dbx and literally no one knows what that means including him (laughs) totally yeah totally so 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 good uh thank you nate for sharing your your journey uh, from contrarian to settling the score. Um, so, yeah, so I, I posted this question, um, having not listened to the record in many, many years, I don't think. Like, not like listen to it, listen to it, right? Like sitting right. down with it. Of course, uh, Throwback Radio keeps things like, uh, you know, Killing Me Softly and, and Ready or Not in rotation in perpetuity. But I uh, had not really listened to it and... Um, remembering how the Fujis were kind of polarizing when they first came out. So their first album is is very uneven, uh, blunted on reality, but you could kind of see the promise. Um, they were a group that people were kind of, I, I know in underground circles were very divided about. And it, the same bucket that I think Diggable Planets was in where quote unquote real heads didn't know uh, whether to take them seriously. Um, there's right. a very funny part in the Stretch and Bobito documentary where um, they were brought some of the Fuji's music to play on on this show. And they like kind of are like, we're good. <laughs> we're good on this. <laughs> like, this is not we're not about this because right. um, it really did push the boundaries of like, um, you know, it was like hip hop lyricism, but with these you know, for lack of a better term, world music elements with, you know, live instrumentation, all of which was really scary to a lot of us back then because we were very close-minded. So when the score came out, I remember being uh, blown away by how together it was in comparison to Blended on Reality. They really had fell on um, a good formula uh, for setting up Lauren, Lauren had come into her own by the time that the score comes out, like lyrically, like to Dave's point, um, that's probably her at the top of her game on that album. Um, and Wyclef, to, to Nate's earlier point, was really good. Like there was a time when he was thought about uh, as one of the the best MCs around. Of course, you know, when you start doing VH1 storytellers and shit like that, like it kind of erodes that. But there was a time and he really had an original kind of uh, voice and take. Proz, we never quite figured out what was going on there. I've heard he did he did some of the production or had a real hand in it um, or Can something. I tell you the conspiracy theory I heard. What's Proz, that? Proz was the guy, like the two Canadian guys from Main Source. Main Source. Like, like had the money. <laughs> Was the backing? Like, was the financial yeah, backing? He, he like he's okay. like okay, I, I'll pay for studio time. I'll buy Wyclef and MPC and guitar strings or whatever. Right, <laughs> right. That's what right. I heard. And I have to say, Pro's best moment on this whole thing, and who I think even if he wasn't in the group, he has the perfect voice for that part. Um, in the Beast, where he's like, "Did you shoot him? 
No, kid, I didn't have the balls. <laughs> I realized I'm bumping too much Biggie Smalls. I was like, all right, dude, that's a good line. Like, that's really funny. Like, all of us are non-gangster, gangster rap listeners, right? Like, we've all had that right. moment. It's like, I'm getting right. way too ahead of myself here. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the, his shining moment. Uh, not Ghetto Superstar with, uh, no, with Old Dirty. Uh, so, so yeah, that, you know, it, it was a, it was a very, very big record. Um, but I just, I wanted, I asked the question because I remember how polarizing this was and we got a little flavor for that in some of the folks responses. So do um, you think it's a classic to um, they look at Dave with the journalism. Answer the question. Do not evade the question, this Damone. Guy, this guy's bearing the lead. I, I like it. I like it. Um, I I do believe that is it is a classic in that um, in my calculus of what makes a classic, um, big really counts for a lot. If you if you made a big record that like we all heard at the same time and and had the whole thing, um, but not only that, it has some really really good rap songs um it has some really really big like pop r&b songs but it, it has some really really good rap songs the production is very unique um mm -hmm. it's very well produced for that time and also kind of not cookie cutter to what was happening at that time i think uh y Clef in particular was was really in his bag of of uh kind of blending his his uh you know his Haitian background doo-wop samples right. all the things you know like they really they really put it together uh the skits are absolutely un unlistenable <laughs> uh in this modern era it's it's those are those are pretty bad um and i'm i'm pretty worn out on all the big songs from that record like yeah, i'm just totally. I'm, I'm worn out a throwback radio does not let these songs die or or be fresh anymore so i don't i i do not enjoy listening to a killing me softly or something like that but um you know the a lot of the other tracks i did enjoy and so i did think it was a classic um and you know i would say it was about probably 80 20 um in the in the twitter in the mm. twitter thread about it so uh, i'll read some responses for some of our, our listeners thanks again everybody for chiming in at Dad Bod Rap Pod on Twitter, typically we'll post a question on Saturday or Sunday, and we record on Monday. So if you get it in by a you know noonish Pacific Standard Time on a Monday, you might could get a shout out. And I'm doing my best to not. I listened back to a, a previous one of these I did, and it sounded like I was ripping on the listeners. So I'm, I'm trying. I'm not doing that. Y'all. I think sometimes I just have snarkiness in my voice. Like, I'm like, dude. <laughs> I'm like, here's stupid with this stupid thing. No, no. <laughs> I don't mean to sound like that. Yeah. We don't do that with the mics on. <laughs> right? Oh, oh, my gosh. So I do genuinely appreciate everyone, and I'm not being snarky. I think sometimes I, like, laugh during it, and it sounds like I'm being derisive, but I'm not. Uh, all right. First take we'll share is from... Uh, Jay Monkey on Twitter. Hell yes. It has a fantastic posse cut, a classic diss that murked the beef between with J-Ru. Which, which song are we referring to here? Have I missed something? Oh, shit. Okay. I will have I, to go back. Did not that. know. Is this on okay. the posse cut with the outsiders and Rod Digger? That is a good song, I have to say. That is that is a good song. I think it's saying it has it also has a classic disc that murked the beef with J Ru. Okay. We'll have to do some more research on that. Dope flows from Clef. 
and top tier rapping and singing from El Boogie. Crazy chemistry throughout and pulls from a myriad of musical directions while sounding, while style sounding as a whole. So shout out to Jay Monkey. Uh, Shaf one, uh, Shafi Malik, who's a, you know, rolls with us. He's a, a, a solid listener. Glad he could chime in. Provided an entry point for a lot of teenagers to get into hip hop as it had radio hits, but also had bars. Therefore, respectable enough classic. All right. And I think you were talking about that, Dave, is like when, when it came out, if you were a teenager of this time, this right. is probably a really, a really influential record. Um, Adam, Adam Monsbach, the classic album with the highest percentage of bad rapping of any classic album. Um, this is obviously a, a reference to prose. Yes, Nate? My only, I, I love talking about pros, just like I love talking about RBX. I'm fascinated by these like <laughs> deep voiced people who can't really rhyme. Um, but, you know, pros does play his part. Like totally. someone has to go last. Right. 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 I, I, I went, when I was listening, I was paying attention and he goes last on all the big songs. So the radio. Okay. Okay. You know, they hide them. Lever, lever down if they needed to. And on one of the songs, I can't remember which one, Wyclef does like half of his verse. So it's like an eight. Nice. Like, <laughs> nice. They're kind of going back and forth, but they never go back. That's like, we're, we're going forward and we're, we're done. And we're good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so. Anyway. Well, it's, it's like anything. Like, you know, some people hit second in a batting order. Some people hit seventh. Like, you know, you got to, it, it takes a, it takes a whole team. Uh, it's like, it's probably the reason why there are no groups anymore, though. No one thinks they should be hitting seventh. You know what I mean? It's just like such a, a different culture now. But they, that's the, true. It, he does provide something for the group dynamic and he does give good vocal contrast well well so lauren and wyclef are in a higher totally register. totally and if it was just you know uh, el boogie and wyclef it, it would be a duet i think pros does yeah you know add that sort of uh, low voice presence to it and you know a, a buffer a buffer yeah. between them like kind of like a foil um i i'm not too good with my classic rock but there's like a fleetwood mac analogy somewhere in there <laughs> right uh, okay. I, was, I was just gonna make like a plus not all of the members of the group should be sleeping together yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. yeah. there was definitely you could do a whole podcast series on kind of the the subplots behind the Fugees and all the stuff that happened there. Um, uh, I I do want to big up Michael Malone though, who who quibbled with Adam uh, Mansbach in that uh, Living Proof would beg to differ with the classic album, which with the highest percentage of bad rapping. Um, Is it a classic? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll come back to Living Proof on a future episode of Dad by Rap Fun. <laughs> Uh, let's see. The young black youth. That's right. As we as we do. Uh, let's see. This is who do we have here? DJ Chong Wizard. It was a big deal when it came out, and I do remember enjoying it at the time. But honestly, can't remember revisiting it. Might have to give it a listen to hear how it's aged. Again, aside from the skits, I think be pleasantly surprised. That Chinese um, restaurant that skit one. is. No good, dude. It was never good, but Jesus, it is terrible now. It's like, what are yeah. we doing? Why are we spending time on this? Right, at all? right. And I guess uh, um, they had the the. I read this in Jeff Weiss's piece. He did a piece for Vinyl Me Please on this this week, um, and he was saying the guy who's doing like the inspirational speeches is Amiri Baraka's son, whose name I'm forgetting. Oh, well. I probably should have written okay. down before I talked about it. Okay. But, 
and okay. some of those are okay it's like you know okay they're, they're like it's empowerment. empowerment yeah yeah yes very 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 much very much of the time the comedic stuff um definitely kind of falls flat but you know uh it was a time when you were still expected to have skits that that'll be my defense i mean they're racist and they're dumb but also if you were doing a, a but at least they're really somehow, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> at least they dwelled on them no but again compared to blended on reality it, it was much more concise they really had cool. these very interesting ideas for concepts uh most, on the most people don't like mess with blunted on reality at all i've always been a fan of the song vocab and i do like yeah. the nappy heads remix which is not on the album which everyone likes too but i'm probably a little bit more into blunted on reality than most people but still it's not, not something i'm listening to these days i guess i wanted to return to this again and i think it does matter mm -hmm. in this like i thought the fujis were cool i thought it was cool that wyclef played the guitar i thought it was mm -hmm. cool that uh Proz had this really deep voice in these sunglasses lauren hill is obviously incredibly beautiful as one of the best voices of all time, both singing and rapping. And I remember uh, one of her verses, like I didn't write down which one, being the first time I was ever aware of a verse being punched in. Like half the lines were on the left ear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you guys know yeah, what I'm talking yeah. about? Uh -huh. mm -hmm. so I, mm -hmm. I thought that was cool too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like yeah. No, I I think it was, it was that thing. Some people thought that was cool and some people really uh, did not appreciate the bohemian uh, nature, nature of it, like that was the real divide, and I, I think is it was very similar for Diggable Planets, where um, if you were into rap on a certain kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, machismo, like if you really were into some hardcore like street shit, um, I do remember people thinking, some people thinking that this was dumb, like it was that, mm -hmm. it, and then the pop singles didn't. There was kind of a backlash to that too, that you know, they, they had kind of recycled some songs. Cause they, they did it in the era of like beat jacking. Like, you know what I mean? Like they they were just going straight in, like, fuck it, we'll do covers, mm -hmm. which covers which was genius. <clears throat> they were genius. But yeah. at the time, again, rap is very stodgy sometimes. People like, oh, singing. <laughs> like you're singing <laughs> on a rap record so it, it was cognitive dissonance for some folks i think if you were of a particular bent and you really liked um you know kind of a creative flair in your hip-hop you probably enjoyed it um i'm not i didn't see any like really negative takes i think some people were just kind of lukewarm haven't heard it in a while uh let's uh we'll end it off here with uh disc dolo aka burrow rod Perception is everything, I guess. I'm 44 and I was in college then and everyone in my circle and outside it felt it was a classic instantly. It did, cr it did cross over, but I never thought it was pop. It was also respected by the backpackers as it dropped around the same time of the schism. I'm not sure what the schism refers to. I think to. the schism he's referring to is like the shiny suit era versus the- Oh, uh, before, okay. That's, okay. that's how I was reading that. Okay. And I do agree, 96 is kind of the fault line there. Mm -hmm. But the last time I think is very interesting. The Fugees are the last group um, before Kanye West of the backpack tradition to be really, really big, to have like really, really, they were the last ones to like actually get something across. Um, totally. And it was more because of R&B, but- but it's, they uh, did it. It's Big L's birthday today. So there's a lot of Big L stuff on the timeline. Right. So a lot of people right. are speculating that Big L would have been the next that the next thing in that lineage where he came from that hardcore street rap hmm. battle mentality. And he was going to set himself up to be like 
the guy. Like he was that. Oh, guy. interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Now, it would have been interesting to see that play out. Obviously a phenomenal rapper. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the timing of all that and who eventually became the Kings of New York and all the things uh, very interesting. We appreciate everybody chiming in on our discussion for question of the week. Uh, like I say, stay tuned to our Twitter timeline at Dabod Rap Pod. Be co- posting a question uh, pretty much Saturday night, Sunday-ish. Uh, feel free to chime in and we might shout you out on the air. And, you know, we appreciate everybody participating in that. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll go grab our copies of the score Dave is going to do his rendition of killing me softly. Um, <laughs> and then we'll be right back with more dead bod rap pod. Dad bod rap pod. If you listen to the show every week, as you should, you probably know that we are doing a special promotion with a new app called Stereo. It's an app that you download and it allows you to talk and hear other folks' conversations, kind of like mini interactive podcasts. And it's something that we've uh, we've been trying out ourselves as part of this promotion. We're doing a uh, stereo after party after we record our monday night podcast sessions we hop on stereo at 7 30 pacific standard time and some you know duo of us uh will be on there talking about the episode that we just recorded maybe some dad bod unauthorized or whatever other stuff comes to mind the cool thing about stereo is it actually allows you to talk back um to the host of a conversation in real time you can record messages and send them to folks you're listening to. So if you haven't done so already, go to the Apple Store or the Play Store, download the Stereo app, and check us out Mondays at 7.30, uh, Dad Bod Rap Pod, parking lot pimping after party. Uh, there'll be free drinks provided by Dave Ma for the first 15 <laughs> folks who show up. Um, so yeah, so we appreciate everybody that's that's joined us last week, and we hope to get some more folks coming up this week. Um, but another reason that you listen to our show is not only to listen to us uh, talk our shit, but also we have incredible guests that come on every week. This week is no different. We are fortunate enough to talk to uh, an MC who's been around for a long time, who have always respected part of the Project Blowed movement. Um, out of Los Angeles, and this is Tumex, who had some real interesting gems to drop in this interview. We'll, we'll check in about it on the other side of this, but right now, here's our interview with Tumex, Dad Bod Rap Pod.
Dad Bod Rap Pod. We're back. Another dope interview lined up for y'all. Joining us in Zoom, we have a rapper who's been around for a minute, has put out a bunch of great work. You might know them from his work with a Mexican descent visionaries, also associated with the Shapeshifters crew, uh, a product of Project Blowed. We want to bring on the program Tumex. How's it going, man? Yo, what up, man? I'm chilling. I'm chilling, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So I wanted to start by just asking you about um, how you came up as a rapper. You know, it's it's widely known that you were, were part of the the Project Blowed crew and were around uh, for the Good Life Cafe days. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what that scene was like and how it shaped you as an artist? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I started rapping in like 91 and, uh, my first band of Mexican descent, right. When I got out of high school, we, we formed it. And there was a guy named Michael Mixon Moore, who was a DJ on the radio. He had a, he passed away rest in peace. He had a, a political show called the militant master mix, Michael Mixon Moore. And it was very like, public enemy it was like you know playing political hip-hop mixing it with speeches and you know stuff like that and he was trying to manage us and he was like you need to come to the good life and uh this was like early 92 i think or, or late 91 and he was like you need to come to the good life man this is a great place it's really out of control uh Cholo Lancinco my partner he knew LA Cool already from the hip-hop clan they went to junior high school and uh, I knew Reckless from CBE too just from being in the streets and we went to the good life man and we saw the vibe and we're like amazed by it and uh as soon as we got to the good life we signed up we performed uh didn't really get booed didn't really get cheered but we just knew regardless that once we went there, we were like, this is the place for us. And we were lucky enough to be part of it. And soon soon thereafter, you know, some of the greatest groups like CBE, Chillin' Villain Empire, Hip Hop Clan, and uh, eventually Freestyle Fellowship and Abstract Rude and Volume 10, all them cats, Ganja K, rest in peace, all them like, you know, little by little took us under their wing and let us be in the crew. And it was a dope thing to be part of, you know? That's cool, man. Um, I, I'm a big fan of some of your early work. If you don't mind, I wanted to ask you about a couple of individual tracks um, just that resonated with me and see if you have any stories about them. Um, I'm kind of a connoisseur of uh, hip hop songs that are about not getting the girl. And uh, one of yours that I really like is called Afternoon Focus uh, with Nobody that came oh, out man. on a Ubiquity 12 inch. Do you have any stories about that one or do you remember anything about that one in particular? Yeah. Yeah, that song is about, first of all, that song was recorded on Valentine's Day. So it was kind of <laughs> like, it was already on some like that vibe or whatever. But yeah, that song, to be completely honest, was about um, a female DJ named DJ Solus from Orange County, who uh, kind of like, I, I liked and, I, and I, I wouldn't say I dated her, but, you know, I was trying to holler at her. We were, you know, hanging out. And at the same time, she was kind of kind of like half-ass going out with circuits from the shapeshifters. So it was kind of like a thing where the whole song was kind of about, I still got love for you. I'm cool with you. 
And uh, even if it's even if it's not meant to be, you know what I mean? I was like, I got love for you. You're cool as hell. And, um, you know, she was torn in the world in the in between that world of like, she's like, oh, you're cool. Kind of like being hanging out with circus. And I was just like, yeah, well, it's cool. So it was kind of like afternoon focus was was just kind of about that. You know what I mean? It was about like, hey, I like you. I think you're awesome. We're still going to be cool. But, you know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be. We don't have to hook up to you for you to be in my life, which is a common theme I have actually, because mm. if you understand the man-woman dynamic, like most of us do, just because a woman rejects you, let's say she rejects you physically or sexually or affectionate-wise, that 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 does a lot of men are mad immature and like as soon as someone rejects them like that, they just they don't want to see that person again because there's hurt. I'm not really like that. I, I have a lot of lifelong friends. A lot of my best friends are my ex-girlfriends that whether we dated or not, you know, I, I don't want to like, even if it don't work out on that level, I still want to love somebody and have them in my life. So it was kind of like that. It wasn't that sophisticated at the time, but that's kind of what it means, you know? That's so dope, man. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, I want to jump around a little for bit sure. in your career because I mean, You've collaborated with so many people and it's I mean you've just had quite um, a lengthy career already but um, I feel like one of your later albums the one that was on Strange Famous which is uh, Sage Francis's record label um, My Fan Base Will Destroy Yours. Um, can you talk a little bit about that project because I feel like it's kind of slept on when when Tumex is mentioned and I, I've always been fond of that project. Yeah you know you you really are ahead bro because that's I feel the same way about that project, kind of. But um, you know what? I was signed to a label called Grim Image Records. Shout out to my boy Craig. And it was a label that we had and uh, out of San Bernardino, California. And I was I was dabbling around making a record. At first, Project Blood Recordings, AC alone was gonna pick it up. Mm-hmm. And uh the actual record was called uh Oh my God, the record was called It Takes a Nation of iPods to Hold Us Back. <laughs> so stupid. The, the, the original name. Imagine that, what a dumbass name with iPods going out of style like that. But anyway, but, uh, but, uh, and there's actually a song called that too, I have floating around. But yeah, long story short, uh, something happened with the Project Blow distribution where they were jammed up about something. So I, I just took it and um, B. Dolan had hit me up. And we were talking randomly, you know, at CMS shows. Sage Francis was always cool with me. And uh, B. Dolan put it together, man. And and basically, the only problem was that, you know, Sage was like, I had never, I knew Sage from random playing shows with him. I knew him randomly. One time when I had a little beef with Anacom back in the day, you know, I, we st- I stepped to Sage at an airport and he was like, look, I'm not on that. I'm just on that label. I'm, I'm not an Anacom or Whoa. whatever. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, on some... There was like a slight beef I had like back in the day. But regardless, Sage was always cool. And obviously he's uber talented, bro. I think he's an amazing MC. And so cachet wise, I was like, man, put this out. And he was like, yeah, uh, he was on some like, it has to be the best record you've ever made in your life and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, <laughs> man, it's just going to be a re- it's Sage Francis, bro. He's, I, I didn't know he was that crazy until I started fucking with him, you know? But I was like, yo, um, I'm going to make a record. It's going to be dope, you know, whatever. And so I made the record. And I give him credit for kind of wanting to A&R it. 
and mm-hmm. being like, you know, listening to every song. He would write me a fucking synopsis of what he thought of every song, which I thought was dope. I thought that was really dope. But at one point, we just had an issue because there was about two or three songs that he wanted to omit from the record. And I was like, man, this song is dope as fuck. I, I don't want to omit it. And we kind of butted heads about that kind of stuff. I think it was a song produced by DJ Nobody called Press Your Luck, which is mm. dope as fuck. I was already performing that song and killing LA with it. And I, I was, you know, I told him, I don't think you understand. Like, it's not a, it's a dubstep song from LA, you know? I was like, I, I could understand that you don't relate to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, long story short, we had a little bit of clash about that. And then oh, wow. uh, I feel like, well, about those like couple of songs and, I think that the clash of, of us butting heads about it, it, it kind of, I think it just kind of made him check out of it a little bit. And did he just was like, all right, whatever. He succumbed to all my, I was like, this is the record. This is the way it is. This is the order it is. And this is what it is, you know? And so to be honest with you, Grim Image Records out of San Bernardino paid for that whole record. I just turned it into to Sage and put it out for the caveat of it. And it, it, it did that. I mean, it brought a lot of caveat. At the time when the record was coming out, also, too, Idea had passed away, you know? Mm. And, you know, that was rough, you know what I'm saying? And there was a lot going on, man. So to be honest with you, we put it out. And I feel like maybe Sage is a good dude. He put it out. But I just think that it didn't really have a lot of, like, he kind of tuned out of it. You know what I mean? He just tuned out because we had some arguments about shit. And it, it came out and it kind of came and went. And then when he decided to tour, the only reason I wanted to be on Strange Famous was because I wanted a, a, a chance at his fans. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was like, I'll be on Strange Famous. Like, let, can I tour with you? Because that would be, if I had a crack at those fans, I like Sage Francis's fans because you're talking about a more upscale uh, intellectual hip hop fan base, right? Which is Which is something I was going for, you know? Mm-hmm. So... I'd, I wanted a tour with him and just, we never did, man. I think he let me open up for him once or twice in LA and in Frisco. And I was like, I got LA in Frisco. You know what I mean? I want to go other places. Mm-hmm. And so we just had a couple of budding heads, man. He, he just, he saw my band, um, the Look Daggers, uh, Free Moral Agents. He, we went to South by Southwest and we played the strange famous, uh, like showcase or whatever. And we had, free moral agents and he met Ike and he, him and Ike were vibing out. And then he just told me that he, he was going to take free moral agents on tour with him as his house band. And I was like, Oh, that's dope. And then I was like, well, <laughs> shit, could I go on the tour too? And he was like, well, your record's not ready. And I was like, I was like, what? Not, I was like, and I was like, you're not going to, you're going to take my band, but you're not going to take me on the tour or whatever. And wow. so I kind of, yeah, it was not a bad thing though. I'm not, look, I don't want to express that it's anything to be angry sure, about. Totally, I don't totally. Sure. But, but it's all good. I, like I said, I respect Sage Francis as an artist tremendously, bro. And if you put the fucking mic in that Dutan, that fool could rock 10,000 people, you know? I got nothing but love for him. I think he's a, a talented dude. But I think we just butted heads a couple of times. And, uh, and there were, I guess it was a cachet of being on his label. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we didn't do anything. We didn't tour. B. Dolan, I mean, I think B. Dolan really benefit from being on strange famous a lot because they're like best friends you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i think that benefited but like sleep and all some of the other like that's another reason i joined the label because sleep was on it cecil otter 
you know, mm. cats that I, I love and respect. But yeah, I, it just kind of came and went. It just never, we never really did too much. And I had already moved on. Grim Image was my real label at home in California. So I just concentrated on that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing, going deep with us. Um, yeah, you you've done a lot, a lot of work with different artists. Like you, you've been in a lot of groups and collaborative projects. Kind of, what is your approach to collaborating with other rappers? Do you, do you view it as a as a competition energy? Do you come to it trying to complement different things? Like, what's your approach when you are are getting on a track with somebody? Um, for me, it was more like, I mean, I think on any time you get on a song, I mean, I come from the good life every weekend, everybody was trying to cut your head off, you know, like all with friendly, with all love and respect every week. It was like, who we, we used to call the good life, the blow up of the night. So I'd be like, who's got the best performance, the blow up of the night. So I come from a world like that, where every time you're on a song, everybody's trying to kill you on the song. So that's just naturally that's LA right there. But but as far as in general, honestly, music is just an exercise. It's a daily exercise. So whether you're, you know, Will I Am or 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 an unknown rapper, I just approach it the same way. I'll be like, yo, play me the track. What's the topic? I immediately just write as as you know a stream of consciousness as fast as I can. Just write what I think is as dope, whatever the dopest rhyme I can think of at the moment, and drop it. And then it, I honestly. If it's for my project, you know, I care about it a little more in the sense of the, the, the concept of the production and the mixing and everything. But to be honest with you, it's just a daily exercise. I just walk into someone's studio, drop it. And once my part is recorded I, and I, and you know, I, I was just, everything else is arbitrary to me. I was like, I know I destroyed it mm-hmm. if I dropped it and I was happy with it. So Man, there's so many songs that I recorded that I never heard from the moment I walk out of that studio. Mm. And if it wasn't for YouTube, if it wasn't for YouTube, I wouldn't know about 30% of my work. You know what I mean? That's wow. crazy. You see, do you sometimes just yeah. type in featuring two mechs and see what happens? Uh, no, but a lot of people shoot maybe the artists that I've made a song with. Like, dude, a lot of these artists, you want to talk about not doing shit not in not in a bad way but i'm just saying like a lot of these artists are just local rappers that we were they were you know they got an album or two and they're to them even selling it is like a weird concept they just did it to do it so sometimes years later somebody's like hey you remember me we recorded a song at my house after a show in in winslow arizona and here's the here's the song i five years later i put it up on youtube and the shit has like six views, but I, I'll listen to it and be like, oh shit, it'll take me back. It'll take me back to like, oh, okay. And if the song is actually fresh, there's times where I've grabbed it off of YouTube and thrown it on one of my compilations. I I have uh, I have these kind of like little dope compilations on my band camp called uh, Sound Hoarding. And they're just, every time I get 15, 20 songs, some of them appear on other people's records. I just pull them back. I got, you know, and just, I like to, I like people to hear everything that I think is dope. There's a lot of songs I have that maybe I don't think are dope, but there's a lot that I do think are dope. And sometimes I want the world, you know, let let me try to get it. You know, maybe the artist I did the song with doesn't know about how to get this song out there. And I'll just be like, well, at least let me put it through my channels and it'll give it more attention. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, 
I've always admired that you rap with an incredibly high level of passion. And one song in particular that, that comes to mind when I think about that is Odyssey, Honestly, from the Mind Clouders project. Do you remember anything about yeah. that one or have, a, have kind of a story about how that, it's not under the Tumex name, it's just under Mind Clouders when I was looking it up. So I was just wondering if, it, it, did you think of it as more of a group thing or if there's just anything you could share about that kind of phase? Yeah, um, that's a good song, man. Damn, you're 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 taking me back. Uh, Mind Clouders, yeah. I mean, that was a group with my being that I I rapped and Mums the Word uh, produced the record, so that's the group right there. But it was basically just another excuse to put out a record. You know what I mean? Like, you know. Um, but my but yeah, Odyssey, honestly, yeah, man. I'm trying to like go back to actually thinking about that. Um, the Mind Clouders was a was a good time for me. I lived on La Brea in San Vicente and with Lord Zen and his wife and they had a kid. And so we all lived in, in, a, in an apartment and right across the street, literally right as you, I mean, literally across the street was Mums the Word studio, like across the street, like up, he had a studio on top of a, a garage, like a, like a, you know, like a car fixing spot, right? And so he had a studio and I, I would walk across the street every morning, get a cup of coffee. And, you know, we, we when we decided to make that group, at that point in time, Mums a Word, it was right after B-Boys and Occupy Mexico. And he was producing for the Visionaries for our second album. So yeah, Mums was really in effect. And, and that was a, a time where I had unlimited access to a studio like every day, seven days a week a willing producer, you know, high concepts. So yeah, man, Odyssey, honestly, is like um, just me trying to write better, I guess, you know what I mean? Uh, trying to write deeper, you know, if, if you listen to the aesthetics of the Mind Clatter record, there's a whole kind of trying to write deeper, you know, and, and write more progressive stuff. And uh, I've always been about trying to make myself happy. So it's kind of like, there's a lot of reason that my music doesn't connect with people because I just do it to make myself happy. So Odyssey, honestly, I, I remember at that point back then was a really proud moment for me. I thought that song was one of my best songs ever. And uh, I used to perform it a lot. People liked it a lot. And um, yeah, I was kind of at that creative hype where I would just be with Mums the Word every day. You know, if, if, if he wasn't producing somebody else, even if he was, I would go there and just watch him produce other people, you know? And, uh, and, but if not, if it was my day or whatever, I would just go across the street and, 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 you know, we made more, we made a whole Mind Clouder album. We did a lot of work there. You know, we did a lot of work there. We, we were there for about a good two and a half years, you know, three years. Dope, man. Dope. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know what? You mentioned a couple of times the good life. And obviously, I mean, it's, we all know of it uh, as this historically creative space. Um, but you know, and, and you were also featured in um, in the film as well. So I just wanted to give you a chance to sort of take us all back to the first time you were at the Good Life and, and how that struck you and how that affected you moving, moving forward. I had heard Micah Nine one time on a cassette and um, on a radio comp. And dude, at first, like most people say, the first time you hear Micah Nine. I was like, what is this shit? This shit is whack. And then maybe like 30, maybe like 30 minutes later, I, I was obsessed with it. Like 30 minutes later, I, I 
I think I heard it like 700 times in a row. I couldn't, <laughs> I, at first I was like, what is this gibberish? And then it was like, mm-hmm. and you know, and I remember him, you know, it was a famous rhyme he had when he was young. Uh, if you guys have, ever, he's like a fight, a fight, and a white, the white can't fight, but the niggas out of sight, out of time, out of mind, out of body. And then he starts going like, body karate, body, you know, all that shit, you know? He started like, jiggity, jiggity, starts, starts walling, bro. And I was like, what the fuck is this? But I had heard that and was like, wow, that, that shit is dope. And to be honest with you, me and Cholo went to the good life with a fucking instrumental. And uh, we had one song to our name, maybe one or two songs at the most, one song. And we spit. And when we got there, uh, we signed up immediately. And we're the third group. First group was some Mexican rappers, too. And they were they were whack. They were rapping about their shoes or some bullshit. Like, they were just nervous, two cats. Very nerve-wracking to be there, you know? Mm. And so these guys, they were kind of whack. And I was like, okay, that was weird. Then the next group was Funky Trent. And Funky Trent destroyed it. And we were like, me and Danny were like, wow, that was dope. And then they called us and we went up and we performed. And like I said, we didn't get booed. We didn't get cheered. We just did our thing. People clapped. It was cool. And we were like, wow, that was crazy that we got to go up there and do our thing. And and then we just watched the rest of the show. And um, just artist after artist, hip hop clan, East Alone, Self Jupiter, Medusa, volume 10 you know over and over and you were just like wow this is dope and then after the show everybody goes outside in the parking lot and the party kind of continues people are battle rapping each other people are just politicking you know people giving each other their props and 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 little did we know but that was like networking you know we didn't know that Mm -hmm. and uh, all i know is that after that first week i was like i'm coming back here all the time and i think i honestly from the time i went to the good life I might have missed for the last two years of it. I think I missed like one week or two. Wow. You know? So I went every week religiously. And I was just like, this is a place for me. And, you know, me and Danny got to, you know, be in a crew. You know, we started befriending, uh, CVE befriended us. And Hip Hop Clan was already our, our, our ally. So Hip Hop Clan had our back. And because Hip Hop Clan, LA Cool was such an important figure at The Good Life, LA Cool put in that these dudes are my homies and they're dope on us made us strive. You know, when you go to the good life, everybody gets one song. So you get five minutes, right? So mm-hmm. after you watch the show, you can't wait for it to be Thursday again. Mm-hmm. Cause you're like, I'm going to go home and write one incredible piece. <laughs> so you would, you were like, you would, and then you learned, you would do that piece and then be like, I'm coming back next week again. Sometimes this is before the radio. I mean, not the radio, but before like anybody had anything out uh, rapidly, like CD burners and all this shit or the internet. So it was like, man, if you did a song and people liked it, 40 people would be like, can you do that song next week again? Mm. And you would be like, yes. And be like, let's, how do, let's do it better, you know? Mm, and no. you would bring that song back and people would be waiting, like, are you going to do that song? And you just, I mean, it made you feel good. It made you feel like you were doing something. And so we would practice, work on things. And then CVE, my friendship with uh, Nigga Fish and Riddler, and he, they allowed us to go to their house the next day after the good life with a blank cassette. I would go get a TDK or a Maxell and he would let me, they recorded the good life. 
So then he would mm. let you record. You could go every week. The next day I would go to their house with a blank cassette and they would let me dub the whole good life. Oh, that's crazy. And I could go wow. home and listen to the whole shit. Or like they would always, they would make, they would cut and paste these cassettes and make something called the good life blowups, where instead of you getting the whole night, you only get what was dope. So is that right? Yeah, yeah. They were that was good life blowups. And if you got the blow-up, I remember the first time of Mexican descent, we got the blow-up. We did a song called Where You From Homes and it blew up. And that's all you wanted in life. I mean, that was everything. Yeah. Fuck a record deal or money. It was like <laughs> you're like, oh, I got the blow up this week. You're like, I'm the blow up, good life blow up. And people that's would call crazy. people like hip hop clan would LA Cool would call himself the good life. It's me, homie, the good life blow up. Like I'm always gonna 100 <laughs> percent blow up, you know? And so um yeah, we'd go to CVE's house and with a cassette, get a dub, and then that led to Riddler Fish making you freestyle, freestyling with them. You know, Riddler would get a blank cassette, a 90-minute cassette, and he would put it in, press a beat for 45, 45 minutes. Like just whoever's in the room, just rapping, like pass the mic. And Riddler would be freestyling and you'd rhyme. I, I, I could freestyle a little, but I, I was pulling out every rhyme I had. And then freestyling, learning. I was basically learning under fire, right? And mm-hmm. so, dude, 45 minutes, the cassette would end and, and Riddler would stop everything, turn the cassette to the other side, press record, and we'd re- freestyle again for 45 minutes. That's and then you would take that home. You would take that shit home and like study it. So That's yeah, cool. it was definitely a master class, and yeah, yeah, and we would, and like I said, you, I would go to their house, and through them, I started. They started producing for me, and and through them, they were creating. At that time, they were creating the afterlife, after the good life. That's what the afterlife stands for. After the good life, we're still doing shit, and so you know that became the afterlife, which was CVE Hip Hop Clan of Mexican descent, uh, the the bastards, Mr. Cr. And uh, and fucking uh, a crew called Cipher Seven, and and to some extent, a homie named Chu, the host of the Good Life, Choo Choo. So we and another group uh, called the Legion. So you know we we that's where we made that crew up. You know at CB's house, and they were they let us they took us under their wing. They already had studios. They were already doing the sound for the Good Life. They were doing shit, and they let us into the world. You know what I mean? That's dope. No stuff. Thanks for thanks for taking us back there. I wanna I wanna ask a question, um, kind of about how you and your ethnic identity shows up in the music. There are not too many people. Um, I can only think of a couple that lead with um, what their identity is in their name, um, and that's I will admit when I first saw Two Mex, I was like, oh, I bet I bet he's Mexican. Um, how how has your ethnic identity kind of shaped the music you do? Or, or does it, or, you know, you've also, your other crew, OMD, or your band, OMD, obviously you're, you're putting it out there. Like, what, what role does that play in how you create the music? Um, the thing was this, man. We came, I, uh, you know, my boy Memo, rest in peace, my best friend, he came up with two mechs. We were in the 11th grade. So you got to understand, we're in the 11th grade. And it was like, what's going to be my rap name? We, two Mex was the name of a crew. That was going to be our whole crew. We're too Mexican, like too short, you know? Like we're too Mexican. <laughs> we're too down for our people. And so we were going to call it, have a crew called Two Mex. 
I immediately, the night that memo came up with that, I went to the swap meet. I lived in mid city, California. I went to the mid city swap meet and got me a hat. That's a two Mex with the Mexican color flag colors. And I went to school the next day. And before we even dropped the concept of wanting to name the crew two Mex, people started calling me two Mex. So it was very simple like that. There wasn't a deep meaning of it like that. And of Mexican descent the same way, you know, just very upfront, but me and Cholo Cinco always from jump from the time we became a group we always said we were yeah we're mexican obviously two mex cholo lancinco everything's very mexican you could tell but at the same time we were very like we didn't want to be in that box of what, what we considered chicano rap the first wave of chicano rap whether it was kid frost or lighter shade of brown and all that stuff we thought it was cool but it wasn't um it just wasn't like you know a representation of what I, I, I grew up on more like, you know, KRS-One and shit like that. I was looking for where's the Mexican version of KRS-One, you know? Mm. I was already into poor righteous teachers and East Coast hip and shit like that. So, and so I had a box of Chicano hip hop. And because quite, quite frankly, we weren't. I was a very, I was kind of a church boy. I wasn't a fucking gangster. Cholo Lancinco, on the other hand, was very like, president of a of a of a graffiti crew danny was the opposite danny was trying to get away from from that life because he was already like head of a tagging crew and that was starting to get into mad issues and shit and like he uh you know everybody knew that his mom danny lived across the street from queen Anne park and everybody knew where danny lived and so it was hard to be the president of a gang <laughs> you know mm. and everybody knows that your mom where your mom lives you know what i mean mm. so he was he was already kind of at that age when we met, he was already like, man, I'm trying to do something better. I'm trying to do something more positive. So he was already trying to shake that, 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 gra that graph kind of almost that graph life, almost that tag banging shit, you know? Mm. So he, so we, he was, we were just kind of like, yeah, we were Mexican, but we all, we made it a point. And even though some of the choruses to the early songs, you know, like, que viva la raza and shit like that. But at the same time, we, we, we wanted to be conscious of not, in that bubble and we weren't you know because mm -hmm. we had other interests we, i grew up on 80s music and k-rock music and british shit i grew up on all kinds of shit right. and you know i grew up on the beatles and shit so it was like i wasn't gonna sound like we weren't necessarily gonna sound like that first wave of chicano hip-hop you know what i mean mm -hmm. thank you appreciate you breaking that down for us as we wrap up here what can uh listeners of dad bod rap pod check for um i heard there's a new visionaries project coming out yeah it's out right now uh visionaries okay. have a new record it's called v like five fifth visionary just like mm. the roman numeral and uh it's dope it's dope man it, it's a it's our fifth album produced this one's produced all visionary albums are usually produced by key and red this one's produced solely by red and man it's it's dope man the, we only have one feature on it it's dj jazzy jeff and uh and and harry harry allen from public enemy the media assassin does the intro and it's like man the, the intro alone is like if you're a fan of the visionaries bro of hip-hop the intro alone which is harry allen talking for about two minutes and 40 seconds is just worth the price right there of just him breaking breaking the group down in a synopsis you know what i mean but um but yeah the record's dope and uh, yeah, it's out on visionaries.bandcamp. It's on Spotify and all that shit. 
And uh, I have a new record. I'm actually waiting to hear by tomorrow. I have a new album called Ghost Writing Songs for God that um, I'm about to put out. I might put it out on Valentine's as soon as Valentine's Day on my own 2mex.bandcamp. But okay. um, my homies label The Order, uh, DJ Nobody, Daddy Kev, and Self Jupiter have a label called The Order. I, I kind of said that to them. They were interested in maybe picking it up. I sent it to them maybe Friday. And I was like, you guys have 72 hours to tell me what you think. <laughs> to respond. <laughs> That's what's up. So I basically sent it to them Friday. And I was like, let me know by Monday or Tuesday. And then if not, it's all good. I'm going to put it out on Valentine's Day. And if, and if they do put it out, then maybe it'll take a little bit longer. But I'm planning on just putting it out, getting it out maybe by Valentine's. And then uh, moving forward to the next project, which is uh, I've been getting produced by Will I Am from Black Eyed Peas, so I've got some like exciting ass West Coast kind of shit that with his touch on it. That guy's a genius, so he's been making wow. song uh, songs that are like bigger, not bigger mm -hmm. like pop, but bigger, bigger like sonically. You know what I mean? Mm. Wow. Dang, Will okay. I Am is kind of a yeah, yeah. We've got a song called L.A. Underground Hip Hop right now. And it's fucking me and him and dude, you you've been if you ever liked Will I Am back in the day, you've been waiting twenty five years to hear this dude rap like this again. Since the Aquan okay. Clan. Now about to say at that clan, yeah, yeah, he's wow. rapping like that, bro. He, he calls the song so dope. He, he he kicks, dude. He he did a verse, he did a chorus, a verse, and then on my second verse, he chopped up my second verse like a mad lib. And made it seem like we're talking to each other. Oh wow! Okay, he's sick, bro. He he killed it, bro. And he's rapping hard. He called, he. It's super dope. Okay, okay. Well, you heard it here first. Dad bod rap pod. Two Max, thank you so much, man, for for joining us and breaking it all down with us, man. I just really appreciate it. Thank you. No worries, man. I appreciate y'all, man. Have a good night. All right, take Peace. care. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Peace. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 157. That was our conversation with Tumex. Very revealing. Um, I don't know about y'all, but when he started talking about he's got joints in the can with Will I Am, my Man. my jaw kind of dropped, right, Dave? Were you kind of like, what the what? I am I'm not, I was not expecting that, man. I was certainly not expecting that. I thought he was gonna say like some, you know. Mad Lib or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely yeah. not Will I Am, but uh, man, it was great. It was great to talk to him, man. I loved how sort of revealing he was, and I loved his temperament as well. I mean, certainly mm -hmm. we know that he's going through some health challenges, so you know, sure. it, it, you always kind of tiptoe. I mean, I don't know if he was like literally in the hospital when we spoke to him, you know, things like that. But um, yeah, man, it was really great to just like get a moment of his time. I I really loved um, his temperament. Reminded me of Pharaoh Manches, where. Mm -hmm. Almost like, you know, it, it, it. He speaks with a certain weight on his on, on his shoulders. Pensive, yeah. Yeah, pensive, yeah. but it makes it real. And um, 
it, it brings a certain added element when I hear all his like emotional songs now. It's like, yeah, you know, we talked to that guy. Like, that's how he is. So, yeah, yeah. man, that was great, man. And I think the timing of um, the Good Life movie um, uh, premiering on uh, Netflix again is just really great. Right. And, and, he's, and he's in that as well. So, yeah, man, that, that was dope. What did you guys think of 2Max? I thought it was very revealing. Like, um, it, it was kind of like, he's not messing around like he's just gonna say what's on his mind he's not here for like um kind of uh you know beating around the bush or whatever which i always appreciate as an interviewer it's like we do want the real the real story what you really think is so much Mm -hmm. easier to say than like kind of constructing a narrative but something that i took away from it and i hadn't really thought about before was that him and cholo lancinko his partner in of mexican descent were making a specific break with what had been thought of as Chicano rap, doing like a very like Mexican version of underground hip hop, like kind of like good life style, um, like Mm -hmm. what we know as like LA underground or whatever you want to call it, Project Glowed later, right? But this is way before that was even a thought um, of like intensely lyrical um, Mexican American rap music. And they're, they're dope, totally. dude. Like I was even te- like, like when uh, two Mex was talking about Cholo on Cinco in the chat I, or the interview, I was in the chat with Dave going like, dude, Cholo on Cinco so dope. Like he has <laughs> one of the trickiest flows and he just flows effortlessly between um, Spanish and English in a way that I've always found really compelling. And uh, I was a big fan of their album, um, Ejitos y Mas Ejitos, which I believe is hits and more hits. Hits, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Dude, I've just, I've always been a big Tumex fan. I like, I really like some of his music and I, he does this thing where it's, it's like almost like a fire and brimstone level. Like he just, he gets worked up on mm-hmm, the track mm-hmm. and like, you, you mm-hmm. guys know me, I like a lot of regular dude rap. I like a lot of behind the beat rap, but I also really love it when someone is genuinely caught up in the moment and like totally delivering the music you know what i mean uh-huh. like it's, it's uh-huh. cool when he gets in that mode and so i wanted to talk to him about it a little bit i've been wanting to like to have that conversation for like 20 plus years so <laughs> yeah. super cool yeah. to be able to get to do that and i i really enjoyed talking to him and i thought i thought he was great and the will i am thing blows my mind i'm like will you didn't like yeah yeah, yeah. really like that's weird right but it's kind of not because you know where will i am comes from he's he was an la yep. underground rapper or producer at, at yeah. a time as well and then he's probably you know for a time one of the most famous people in the world so interesting story there yeah yeah i, I, I loved how you mentioned of um you know them um being very purposeful in um deviating from like a later a lighter shade of brown or kid frost and stuff i mean that sound and like their presence looms large. So I think they're successful in what they did. You know what I mean? They, they did the good mm-hmm. life Mexican-American rap version, you know? So yeah. that, that was yeah. really dope, man. That was really dope. I, I was stoked on the interview for sure. Yeah, great, great interview. We appreciate uh, 2Mex coming on and really breaking out a lot of kind of insider stuff. He talked a little bit about uh, his uh, dealings with Sage Francis and kind of <laughs> underground, you know, inside baseball record industry stuff which is really cool so yeah we we appreciate when guests come on give us the real um and we are definitely very curious to see what the uh the tumex will i am project will end up being um so shout out to tumex i know um he was very much an influential presence here in san jose for mm-hmm. a while I, I caught him a bunch of times at mm-hmm. uh 
at, at Cactus and different places back in that era. And um, the, the style of rap that he does, I think um, we didn't get into this too much, but there's this real crossover with like graffiti culture um, and rappers slash graffiti writers, I find really are drawn to Tumex. And like, mm. he's a very influent, it's, that's a very splinter scene, but it, it does represent a certain amount of folks. And I, I just remember um, how influential he was, obviously, you know, San Jose being, having a, a large Mexican American population, but he, he represented something that was, um, that carried his art and ethnic identity um, it, to equal levels. I would say a Kid Frost or Light of Shade of Brown, the difference is they're saying, we are Chicano first right. and we happen to be rapping. But Tumex was like, I, I am both. And he really, he really carried that. Here's a little obscure one to tie in the San Jose thing. You guys remember uh, Renaissance? Yeah, Chaos? yeah, yeah. My uh, girl. They, they had a minor yeah. hit with uh, their version of My Girl. Yeah. That was probably the first Latin rap song that I heard. Oh, wow. Really? Really? Yeah, I don't remember. Maybe maybe Lighter Shade of Brown came out before that, but it was like our version mm-hmm. of Lighter Shade of Brown. Yeah, out. man. No, shout out. Uh, uh, shout out. Cutso and myself are also big fans of uh, Menti Rosa. Um, who, who is uh, that? Mellow Man it's, Ace, um, yeah, the, yeah. the Mellow Man Ace, yes. exactly. So, yes. we, we've always had this like kind of funny, it's not like we're making fun of it, but it's not like we're like fully bumping it for totally. real either. Um, we, we've always thought that was like a kind of funny song, and we had this whole thing where we were listening to Menti Rosa a ton for a time. <laughs> I still think of that. I'm like, oh, he, she's a liar. She's a <laughs> <My God. laughs> I had a, I think I had a crush on a girl in eighth grade where that was her favorite song. And I was attempting to learn the lyrics at one point and then my hip hopness got the better of me. What am I doing? Uh, <laughs> shout out to Mellow Man Ace. You, you guys remember, in the, since we're just going down the rabbit hole, remember in the Interscope uh, propaganda documentary what their first, their first hit record was? Was it Kid Frost? Nope, Rico Suave. Oh, oh my God. that that was their first Us. that that <laughs> bankrolled the whole. There would be no afterlife had it not been for uh, Rico. Oh, wow. I haven't thought about that in a long time. That dude had some luscious locks. <laughs> yeah, man, chesticles for days. Um, never, but you know, never find a shirt. No, it's crazy. <laughs> always lost his shirt it's crazy uh, yeah it happens to me too um so yeah shout out to two max for for coming on uh we are always here for some project blowed uh nerderies so it's always fun to have cats who are part of that era come on um and sure if you haven't seen it already um i believe the movie is called this is the life by uh by ava duvernay is on netflix right now and kind of chronicles the uh the good life cafe era um, of LA hip hop in, in a really cool way. Um, and it's, it's interesting too. because she, she did that before she was right. who we know her to be. It's a really old documentary actually, um, but she does a, a really good job um, in capturing that moment. I saw the, um, the incredible Sun Ra, who was mentioned many times on this program, um, said it helped him understand why we hated Fat Joe so much. <laughs> so, so if you too are wearing Timberlands right now and don't understand why we hate Fat Joe so much at a time, uh, I would I would suggest you go uh, check out that movie on Netflix. Um, yes, it's very very good. Uh, with that being said, this has been another episode of Dad Bod Rap Pod. I think it's been pretty good. I think Nate and Dave are doing they're all right. 
it's it's evaluation time at work so i'm kind of like we're like replacement level uh podcasters (laughs) i think your your wins above replacement are you're you're off the charts uh love both of y'all and uh you can hear us talking more shit uh amongst ourselves and about each other on stereo what is stereo you might ask well it is a new app that allows you to listen to and host conversations. Um, I kind of think of it as like a mini podcast app. So if you haven't checked it out already, you know, try it. It's uh, called Stereo. It's available in your app store. You download it and you can check us out on Stereo. Uh, We'll be doing a promotion with them for about the next eight weeks on Mondays at 7.30 Pacific Standard Time. And, you know, you'll hear two of us uh, talking uh, it has a, a very interesting feature where you, we don't see, you don't see each other, but you see these avatars you've created for each other. And and Nate, can you talk to us a little bit about why your avatar actually looks like you <laughs> and so me funny. and me and Dave look like people from Rugrats? This is, this is hilarious. And this is like, I know stereo is built to like solve this problem, but I couldn't get the voice memo thing. I sent you guys like 10 voice memos last week when you were doing it and I was doing the dishes, my hands are all wet. And I'm like, it's because Lucia did mine. Oh, is that what it was? If you have someone who objective, like, I don't really know what I look like, right? Like literally every time I've looked in the mirror, I've seen myself backwards. Not that that matters. My face is relatively symmetrical, but uh, I basically just took the phone one night and handed it to my wife. Like I picked out, you know, like some pinkish skin and some brown hair and some glasses. And I was like, can you make this look like me? And she did. So she's just just more kind of like better at these kinds of things so it would, i think it actually helps if you have someone else take a look at it because we all have okay. our little dysmorphias and whatnot um, yeah <laughs> so you're you're telling me i don't look like large professor is that what you're <laughs> that what you mean to tell me you know what's funny dude if you Damn let it. the beard go and those little grays that i could see would come in like this then you could possibly look like david cross slash large professor as people think i do <laughs> I was thinking death grips with glasses. But, uh, oh, <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. Death grips. <laughs> See, that's what you need to get on the stereo uh, app. Please come so you can understand the uh, the visual humor of me, me Dave's uh, avatars. Uh, Demones is wearing Kazals. <laughs> that's all they had. Um... Yeah, no, it's it's fun times. It is. It's it's just a little bit of stretching for the uh, for the dad bods. Uh, but we're we're getting into it. We'll be on there for the next eight weeks as part of our our promotion with Stereo. So we, you know, we invite you to to check it out, do something new. But you can also connect with us on the old fashioned socials at Dad Bod Rap Pod on Twitter at Dad Bod Rap Pod on Instagram. We drop new episodes every Thursday. Oh, and we also sell mugs. We did a re-up. Uh, we robbed the plug, basically. And we have uh, we ran off on the plug, as the rappers like to say. And uh, we, we have more cups. So we thought we had, we had done a full run, but we actually have more dad bod rap pod mugs. So you can uh, go to our, our link, our link tree, which is in our, our Twitter and our Instagram bio. And it'll take you. Uh, to the Merch Engine store. Shout out Stony Island Audio, Open Mike Eagle, and the whole gang. I hear uh, what had happened was season two. Soon coming. So 
Um, yes. I don't know if you guys have delivered any. Like, I bought a bunch of extras so I could give them to my friends and family and stuff. And every single person I handed it to goes, you have merch? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know what it is we think we're doing here, but selling mugs is definitely not high on the priority <laughs> to a person my mom my friends who live out totally. of town my buddy who i see lit all the time and i assumed knew what was going on with the show was like no. he was like you guys no. have mugs i'm like indeed we do you're holding it in your hand Bruh. my my mom has been like where's my mug for like six weeks so so i, I guess it, it just it varies we're out here in these podcast streets mug dealing uh so you you mean mugging. Uh, so you can definitely pick one up uh, while supplies last. We've got, you know, 40-ish left. So please move on those. And and definitely send us the pictures, like, of you drinking coffee or lean or whatever you drink in your dad pod, <laughs> rap pod, uh, pimp cup. We appreciate it. Send us pictures on IG, Instagram. And, yeah, just in general, we appreciate y'all listening. Uh, not only do we have merch, we have a whole ass podcast. And it happens every week, and we appreciate y'all for tuning in continuously. We are the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Jamaica wear the mask. Stick up kids bumping Fuji Law wear the mask. Yeah, everybody wear the mask, but how long will it last? Downey Island Audio.